The God of love had a really bad week. That's the title of an opinion piece written by Diana Butler Bass for CNN. She wrote it following the infamous rally in North Carolina where the crowd chanted over and over, send her back, send her back. Diana Butler Bass has long been a faithful and effective commentator on American Christianity. She's written many important books about how Christian faith in our nation is undergoing tremendous change. And in this recent article, she ponders how so many people at that rally, likely white evangelicals mostly, could, could chant, send her back, send her back. Had they forgotten their Sunday school song, Jesus Loves the Little Children, All the Children of the World? Had they forgotten that, she asks? The God of love had a really bad week. And that was two weeks ago. This week saw more than 150 people die in the Mediterranean in a boat accident, people moving from Libya to Italy trying to find a more wholesome and hopeful life, an event that would certainly break God's heart. This week also saw the reestablishment of the death penalty. Those in federal prisons on death row now will actually be executed in the coming months. And then, undoubtedly, this week gave us all various pieces of heartache. Maybe something going on in your own life that's very difficult. Maybe it's something about our city that we can't seem to overcome. Maybe it's something related to the commonwealth, perhaps the 400th anniversary of democracy this week in Jamestown. Or maybe it's something else around the world. The God of love had a really bad week. If you've been in worship across the recent weeks, we have been hearing stories from the Gospel of Luke about Jesus. Jesus dealing with demons. Jesus sending out the 70 to spread the love of God. Jesus and the Good Samaritan go and do likewise, he says. Jesus encountering Mary and Martha. All of these stories flow one after another from the Gospel of Luke. Today we have another story. Jesus teaching about prayer. If the God of love had a really bad week, then this teaching about prayer just might be what we most need to hear. So listen to Luke 11. Jesus was praying in a certain place, and after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us, and do not bring us to the time of trial. 
And then Jesus said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and you go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread for a friend of mine has arrived and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, do not bother me. The door has already been locked and my children are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be open for you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for a fish, will give a snake instead of a fish? Or if a child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion? If then you, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? This is the word of the Lord. This is a good day, and this is a good week to think about Jesus and think about teachings on prayer. In fact, it's always a good day to think about Jesus and prayer, especially perhaps in these days. The disciples saw Jesus praying, so they said, Lord, teach us to pray. They were longing in their often discouraged and dismayed lives to have a center, to have a life rooted in God like they saw in Jesus. There are lots of things that leave us discouraged. There are lots of things that leave us dismayed. So we're invited to turn to God in prayer. Rabbi Harold Kushner thinks that he knows God's favorite book in the Bible. It's the Psalms, he says. In the rest of the Bible, God is there to speak to us as God's people. God speaks to us in the stories of Abraham and Sarah, in the stories of Miriam and Moses. God speaks to us through seers and sages and prophets and through the history of the Israelite people. And God speaks to us through Jesus and parables and Paul and letters. But in the Psalms... We speak to God. So that must be God's favorite book, Krishner says. In the Psalms, we tell, the God, uh, we tell God about our love, about our praise. We give God honor. In the Psalms, we express our needs and we affirm our gratitude. God is our help and strength, a present help in times of trouble. God is our shepherd God is our light. God is our salvation. And more than that, more than all of that, in the Psalms we find lament. Because of our relationship with God, we can even shake our fist and express our anger at God. Where are you, God? Why are you leaving us in this mess? The Psalms show us that this covenant relationship with God is dynamic. There's praise and honor, there's gratitude and comfort, there's 
anger and appeals to God for help. There's faith. There's doubt. There's lament. There's joy. The Psalms have been called the church's prayer book. So prayer is the way we relate to the Lord of our lives. Prayer is the means to connect with the creator of the universe. Prayer is the part of any life that seeks to be enfolded into the life of God, the reign of God. Remember, Jesus comes to inaugurate the reign of God to show us the kind of world that God intends, the kind of lives that God intends, and it includes prayer. Relating, connecting, being God's people in covenant partnership. It includes prayer. Prayer is our striving to know and to be known by the Holy One, the Holy One of all. But prayer can also be very problematic. I've had numerous conversations, even recently, about prayer and what it means like this. I keep praying that the cancer will stop growing, and it doesn't. Does that mean that my prayers are not working? Does that mean my faith is not strong enough? Does it mean that God isn't listening? Or this, I'm on my knees day and night, hoping and praying that my marriage will hold that my child will find a way, that the abuse will stop, that the darkness will be lifted. Fill in the blank. Doesn't God care? What's the point of prayer? What's it all about anyway? See, many of us tend to approach prayer in an in a way that makes God into a kind of cosmic vending machine. Insert the prayer in a slot. Make your selection. And if you're good, voila. The outcome that you wanted. Moreover, we have numerous places in Scripture that might even contribute to this line of thinking. In Matthew 21, Jesus says, whatever you ask in prayer with faith, you will receive. Or in the passage today, ask and it will be given to you. Jesus also teaches about the persistence of pray. Pray, 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 and eventually God will give in. That's in Luke 18. But as with all of Scripture, we get into trouble when we take verses right out of context and listen only to that verse. What Jesus keeps teaching, what Jesus keeps showing is that all of life is enfolded into God and God's life, in God's care, enfolded into God's purposes, enfolded into God's justice, enfolded into God's joy, all of life. And we are to stay connected to God. The way we stay connected to God is through prayer. Pray, ask, seek, connect, because we are part of the inbreaking of the reign of God in the world. We're part of it. We're God's people. So we pray for healing. 
not because we always see healing, because we know we may not, but so that we can connect with the mysterious and the wonderful love of God that promises never, ever, ever to let us go. We pray for safe travel, not because God is going to catch an airplane that's fallen out of the sky or going to prevent a car crash on our way, but so that we can be prepared for whatever happens, striving always to trust God in all things and serve God in all times. We pray for an end to the drought. We pray for leaders to act in the best interest of all people. We pray for peace in the Middle East. We pray for no more gun violence. We pray for the frightened families crossing borders. We pray for all of this, not because prayer controls everything, but so we'll be forever enfolded into the presence and the purposes and the life of God forever connected to God and God's concerns, forever part of the covenant life with God. God's light prevails over every darkness. God wins over despair and death. And as I've said before, with God, the worst thing is never the last thing. God gets the last word God's reign is emerging. It's about goodness and hope and redemption and peace. And we want to be and stay connected to God and God's emerging reign. Prayer is how we connect. Prayer is how we stay enfolded into God's love. Prayer also connects us more closely to all those people we're praying for and all those situations that we're praying about. It keeps shaping us in the inbreaking reign of God. I think I've told you this before, but when I was in seminary, one of my professors says, hey, Alec, do you believe in the Bible? And I thought, I'm in seminary. Yes, I believe in the Bible. I believe in the Bible. And he said, no, you don't. You believe in God, and you believe what the Bible tells you about God. You don't believe in the Bible. You believe in God. I'm like, right. It's the same about prayer. We don't believe in prayer. We believe in God. And we believe that prayer is how we stay connected and enfolded into life with God. Prayer is what we practice. Prayer is another way, a primary way of connecting and staying connected to God's love and God's promises and God's presence. Prayer is how we experience it. Prayer affirms all of it for us over and over. Our lives are rooted in God. It's true. We believe in God. Prayer is a powerful means to connect, to relate, to become more and more the trusting, serving people of God. So the disciples say, Lord, teach us to pray. They want to be in this powerful enfolded presence connected to God. They want to have their lives stabilized in God's life like they saw with Jesus. So Jesus says, okay, when you pray, say, and he teaches them the Lord's Prayer. 
the Lord's Prayer intends to remind us that we're all connected always to God and God's provisions, God's guidance, God's care. We do not live on our own or by ourselves as often as we think about that. We live as God's people enfolded into a life with God, in God's presence, accountable to God's ways. This is what Jesus keeps teaching and showing. Jesus says, you heard this? I say this. Love your neighbor. Help the weak. Tend the poor. Pray for your enemies. Everything Jesus says and does wants to show us that we're part of the reign of God. We live in the world, but we live as God's people in the world. We have work that we have to do. We have relationships that we have to nurture. We have community that we want to build. We have lots that we are to be about. But we live in a certain way. We live trusting God and we live serving God. So when the disciples say, Lord, teach us to pray, he says, pray like this, and he gives them the simple model, the Lord's Prayer, and he follows that up with some teaching and some parables. The simple model of the Lord's Prayer here in Luke, 5, in Luke um, 11 has five petitions. Father, after the Father, and some manuscripts say our Father, the first two petitions affirm God with power and honor. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. A better translation might be, may your name be revered in all the world and may your kingdom come. Those two petitions want to affirm that life is lived, all of life, before a holy and awesome God. We can trust God who made us and knows us. We can trust God whose reign covers us and the whole world forever. When we repeat these petitions, we find ourselves living a certain way in God's care, connected to God's love. When we affirm God's honor and confirm God's coming kingdom, it intends to shape us, shape how we live. We live with reverence, and we live in allegiance to the coming reign of God. And then there are three other petitions that follow, asking for divine provision for essential and critical things, food, mercy, and protection from times that threaten us. We can't live with the basic, without the basic elements of life, so God provides food, and daily we have to ask for food and thank God for food. Neither can we live without mercy or forgiveness. And it's clear here that those who seek mercy, whoever asks for mercy, are also called to practice mercy. Um, sharing in the mercy life of God means passing it on in everyday life. We've heard this before many times in the Gospels, so it's no surprise that we should repeat it in this prayer. Forgive us our sins as we forgive others. Forgiveness leads to forgiveness. This is God's way. And then the last petition about the time of trial reminds us, folks, life is full of trials. Life is full of temptations. We pray in this prayer not so much for a free pass, and no struggles. Struggles are part of life. 
Struggles are often what shape us the most in life. We pray that we can be strong, that we can face them like Jesus did with persevering integrity and commitment. That's how we face our struggles and our trials. In these recent summer Sundays of worship, we've been using the ecumenical Lord's Prayer in our worship services. We're hoping that these words will sink in slightly differently for all of us. We're hoping that these words will help shape us in trusting God and in serving God. That's what prayer is about. And then Jesus follows up this teaching with parables, these parables about friendship and hospitality and honor. And all of these were important values in the first century village. Hospitality, friendship, and honor. And Jesus is making the strong point about God. God cares. God provides. God will never leave us. We can trust God, echoing all that he's been saying about prayer. Hence, friends, we pray. Prayer intends to shape us in a life with God and a life for God. The great spiritual writer Thomas Merton says this, Prayer is an expression of who we are, a living incompleteness. We are a gap that calls for fulfillment. That's Thomas Merton. Prayer is an expression of who we are. We are a living incompleteness. We are a gap that calls for fulfillment. What a helpful phrase. What a helpful concept. A living incompleteness. That's us. A gap that's calling for fulfillment. That's us. I think when we're honest about our lives, we all know that we are a living incompleteness, a gap that calls for fulfillment. We seem to have an, an addiction to being connected, to finding completeness, an addiction that seems to be growing more and more with technology and devices that keep us connected all the time, a living incompleteness. A gap calling for fulfillment. The disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. May we keep striving to devote our hearts to prayer, to staying connected to God, to one another, and transforming that living incompleteness into trusting God, and to serving God. Amen. Let us pray. Holy God, by the power of your Spirit, move in our midst. Cover us with your love, fill us with your peace, and in every way, melt us, mold us, fill us, use us as disciples of Christ our Lord. Amen.